Good music, huh? Oh, that was good. We were actually singing that song yesterday. Oh, how I need you. Anyways, so, uh, hey, we told the fall festival people we'll be there. We'll man those bounce houses. Come, or high water. And it was high water. And uh, anyways, so appreciate those who came out. I know others of you were planning on being there and later on in the afternoon. You didn't care what the weather was going to be. You're going to be there. So just a little representation here. We've the Myers and Zeke and Diana and the McGees and Stan and the Porries and Clark and, and Jason were there like since four in the morning uh, guarding those places. Anyways, and Kim and there's, they had a clown show up for the, uh, the guy there on the right. Anyways, but um, just really appreciate everybody who showed up. Again, uh, the Northwood Fall Festival, that's put on by volunteers. People from Northwood who just love Northwood and want to do something nice for Northwood. And so we want to be able to be here for our city. And so we've offered to do that each and every year. And every year, the weather is a little different. Uh, you know, last year was sunny and a lot of bees. One year it was really hot and we were like getting water out to the people. Um, so for the five or six kids that showed up to actually play in that rain, um, they had a great time. Uh, and I appreciate everybody who's serving and helped us in that way. Anyways, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 27, uh, page 312, if you're using the Bible there. And uh, we've been learning about the life of David. But as we're doing that, we're also looking at this fact that God says of David, King David, that he was a man after his own heart. He was a, a man who pursued God, who wanted to do life God's way. And so then we've been asking this question, how does a person who has a heart for God, who wants to be a person known to have a heart for God, how do they handle the normal ups and downs of life? We all live lives just like David did, maybe not to the extent that David had. He's currently on the run, 10-year span of his life on the run. Uh, king Saul, the current Saul, uh, king, wants to kill David, who's the king in waiting. I mean, specifically, what we want to look at today is, how does that person, a person who wants to be known as someone who has a heart for God, how do they handle life when it's overwhelming? When there's just so much stuff coming down on us, how do we deal with that? How do we face life when we're overwhelmed? And we're going to find this biblical truth play out. And, and here's the, the biblical truth. A person after God's own heart will turn to God for strength when overwhelmed by life. Pretty simple statement. Not always easy to do, but something that God will do in our lives, strengthen us as we go through difficult times. So last we were with David, last week, uh, for those who have not been with us, uh, again, King uh, David currently is um, the king-in-waiting. He's actually king-in-waiting on the run. Um, throughout his 20s, for 10 years, he is running from the current king, which is King Saul. Saul hates him. He's jealous of David. David goes out and he does all these great things and wins all kinds of battles and does everything that Saul wants him to do. Saul is jealous of him, and so Saul wants him killed. And he's been chasing him now. We're probably into six or seven years of David running around trying to hide from King Saul. And so, um, as we left last week, David had um, spared Saul's life for a second time. 
And Saul said, hey, since you've done that for me, because David's yelling down, hey, I could have killed you, but I didn't. I'm going to let God avenge me. And so Saul yells back, hey, you're a man of mercy. I appreciate that, and I promise you I won't kill you anymore. So he goes his way, and David goes his way. But David knows, because he's been at this for so long, that Saul is not a man of his word. He says, yeah, I'm not going to kill you, but he knows he'll always come back. And so David has a plan, and here's his plan. Then David said to himself, now, now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. So uh, Saul then will despair of searching for me anymore in the territory of Israel, and I will escape from his hand. So David takes off. He's going to go over to Gath again. Remember, he's already been there once six or seven, eight years previous to this. And, but now he's going to go back there. The first time he had to act insane to get away from the king because the king was going to kill him. But this time he shows up with 600 men uh, and he's, he's um, vowing his loyalty to the king. So there's 600 men, but it's also all their families. So this isn't a group, you know, this is 601, you know, with David. This could be easily a group of over 2,000 people who are making a move from the wilderness of Ziph all the way up to, and they enter into Gath, uh, 2,000 of them walking up there. And it, the plan worked, as we read through. Not, we're not going to read it this morning, but the, we know the plan worked, that King Saul was like, well, if he's going to go over to the Philistines, I don't want to mess with the Philistines, and so I'm going to let him go, and I'm not going to pursue David any longer. So after living in Gath for a while, uh, he's feeling uncomfortable. You know, they've got 2,000 plus people and it's a little bit jammed and packed in that town or something. And so he has this conversation with King Achish. It says, then David said to Achish, if now I have found favor in your sight, let them give me a place in one of the cities in the country that I may live there. For why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag, just to the south there of Gath. Uh, that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. So from that moment forward, even when David becomes king, all the way up to the time that this was written, um, that town has always been part of Judah, part of Israel. The number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Again, it's, it's important for us as we're reading through God's word, especially these stories, that time passes. So there are days where David and his men are just, you know, they're kind of chilling out, they're kind of hanging out. But in this case, what they were doing those four, a year or four months while he was there is that they were living in Ziklag, and he takes the opportunity to attack Israel's enemies to the south of them. And so we have the Amalekites, the Gerzites, and the Gersherites. Um, and, and so here's the deal with the Amalekites especially, and kind of the Amalekites are all the people down there. When Israel was coming from Egypt... God told Moses, hey, I'm going to wipe the Amalekites out. They've always been against God and God's people. And so God was going to judge them by using Israel as his tool of judgment. And so he said, Moses, I'm going to wipe these guys out. When it came time to go into the land, Moses had died. And so Joshua was the one who's going to follow through on that. But Joshua's men, they did not quite get them taken care of. They didn't wipe them out. And so a thousand years later, we got King Saul, who's king of Israel, and God says to King Saul, you eliminate these people. You wipe these people out. It's my judgment upon them for not fearing me and not following me and not taking care and not you know, being good to his people. 
Well, we know that King Saul failed to do that. In fact, he even let the king live. And because of that, God said, I'm taking the kingdom from you. You are not obeying me. You're, you don't have this connection with me, this relationship with me. You continue to reject me. And so I'm going to take the nation from you. And so David then... Um, uh, let me see. Where am I? Okay, so David... Um, we know he's good with stones, right? And so he's going to kill two birds with one stone here. What's what he's going to do? So here's his plan. He's going to enemies, Israel's enemies to the south. He's going to take whatever spoil that there is, the stuff that they get, and he's going to give some to Achish. Because what he wants is he wants to get Achish, he wants to get in good with Achish. But he's telling Achish that I'm actually attacking southern Israel. So now Achish is thinking, wow, David is really not liking Israel. And so he's actually weakening them. But then he says, to, uh, he, he says to his guys, when we get into these towns, kill everybody. Because we don't want anybody going back and telling Achish what I'm doing. So he's getting in good with Achish. He's actually weakening the allies of the Philistines. And he's actually, in that sense, strengthening Israel while getting in good. With Achish. And so the plan works. We'll find out a little bit here that he actually, Achish says, Hey, I want you to be my personal bodyguard for life. And so David is really in with this guy. Well, while they're raiding on, in the south, and maybe because the Philistines think that Israel's weakened, the Philistines are up north, northern Israel, and they want to do battle against uh, Israel. So King Achish tells David, this is in chapter 28. He tells David, listen, I want your men to march with me. So he, obviously he really trusts him. David's like, okay, we're, we're good to go. Uh, we'll march with you against Israel. And again, like I said, he became um, Achish's bodyguard for life. So as they're getting ready for battle, Saul, he's getting his men ready for battle, and they move up to northern Israel. Mount Gilbo is the name of the, where they're going to be fighting. And so when he gets there, he is scared spitless because he's looking over the edge and there is the Philistine army who's up against his army. And so what does he decide to do? He decides, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask God if, I, if I'm going to win. You know, is this gonna, should I go up against these guys? Will I win? Will I lose? But we're told that God doesn't answer him. So in the past, he would ask Samuel. Well, we know Samuel is dead. So he can't help. Or can he? If any of you know the story that we're going to find out here. So Saul tells his men, hey, listen, go find for me a witch, a medium, someone who can go and fetch Samuel for me. Now, this is how messed up Saul's thinking is. Again, he's rejected God, right? He doesn't want to obey God. He doesn't want to do anything God wants but he's trying to get a hold of God and God's not answering him because he's rejected God. Why would God want to respond to, to Saul? So he goes to a witch, a Satanist, and says, hey, can you summon up Samuel for me to find out what God wants me to do? It's messed up. It's messed up thinking. A lot of people actually think this way. This messed up thinking. It would be like us going to uh, 
a tarot card reader or a, a palm reader or, or looking into horoscopes to find out what is it that God wants me to do today. It doesn't make any sense. It's the opposite side. The opposite side isn't going to help God. So she says, hey, he found this lady, so he goes, he disguises himself because Saul supposedly got rid of all the mediums and witches, and so she doesn't want Saul to find out. She doesn't know it's Saul at this point, and she's like, hey, I'm not going to do this because you're going to you know, get me in trouble with Saul, and he says, that's okay, I won't worry about it, you know, we'll, we'll call it good here. And so then she says, well, who do you want? And he says, I want you to talk to Samuel, bring Samuel up, and here's how that plays out. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. Now, why would she cry out with a loud voice? He does this all the time, doesn't she? She calls up spirits all the time. So why would she be freaking out? Because it's the first time she's actually called up somebody. Usually it's trickery. Usually it's like, oh, yes, I, yes, I, I sense a spirit here, and the spirit is telling me to tell you this, and blah, blah, blah. But this time, Samuel shows up. This is freaking her out. This isn't normal. And the woman spoke to Saul saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. So now she's figuring it, figuring it out. The king said to her, Do not be afraid, but what do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a divine or a spirit being coming up out of the earth. He said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped with a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and did homage. <clears throat> or homage, as they say in England. Then Samuel said to Saul, hey, I can speak English. I'm fluent. Anyways, then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I've been sleeping. No. I mean, he's, he's in the presence of God. And also he shows up back in the stinking earth. Anyways, Saul said, I am greatly distressed for the Philistines are waging war against me and God has departed from me and no longer answers me either through prophets or by dreams. Everybody, anybody ever feel that way? God's departed. God's not listening to me. Well, here's the question for Paul and really kind of maybe for us. Who left who? God never moves. Saul rejected God. So it's, again, Strange thinking on Saul's part, but therefore I have called you that you may make known to me what I should do. So Samuel said, why then do you ask me, since the Lord has departed from you and has become your adversary, which is a scary place to be. The Lord has done accordingly as he spoke through me. God's already told you what he's going to do. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, to David. As you did not obey the Lord and did not execute his fierce wrath on Amalek, so the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. And he's not saying that they're going to go to heaven. He's saying you're going to be dead like I am. Indeed, the Lord will give over the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. And so, God uses this opportunity to bring Samuel back. Now, was this Samuel? Was this a ghost? Was this a demon? You know, who is this? Well, first of all, um, there's a big debate amongst scholars as to who this was, if it was really Samuel, his spirit, or whatever. Well, first of all, let me just say this. It wasn't a ghost. Now, how do we know that? Well, and I, and I might upset some of you Christians even on this one. There are no such thing as ghosts. There is no human spirit who's walking around this earth looking for peace, trying to find that place of peace. 
Jesus makes the comment in Luke 16, or tells the parable and tells the story of how when you die, you either go to hell or you go to heaven. And there's no coming out of hell to go tell people, hey, don't come here. There's no doing that. Hebrews tells us it's a point unto man wants to die and then the judgment. And so there's no ghosts. I know there's TV shows about ghosts. And I know there's hotel ghosts or something like that on TV. I, I know there's a bunch of people who want us to think that there are. But there's only angels and there's only demons. And so, is this a demon? I'm just going to give you my opinion. No, because Satan's not going to help. God's not going to use Satan directly to help him. Satan wouldn't want to help. So this is Samuel. Somehow God allowed Samuel to come back to earth for this moment to, to share with everybody. The, the, again, the witch is shocked. So this is something new to her. She's never called up an actual person before. And Samuel says, why have you disturbed me? So he was obviously sitting there hanging out with God and enjoying heaven. And then, like I said, had to come back here to earth. So God who can do anything he wants except go against his character, his attributes, and his promises. Because a lot of people say, well, yeah, sure, God can do anything. No, you've got to be careful what you mean when you say you can do everything. He can't do anything outside his character, his attributes, and his promises. And so, uh, he, but he does this where he has Samuel show up. And again, you know, kind of a one-time thing. And Anyways, point is, Samuel tells Saul what he has already told him, that nothing's changed, the, the kingdom is no longer his, it's going to be stripped from him. He adds that tomorrow, Saul, you and your sons are going to die, and you'll be with me. Now, this, again, this is not a reference to Saul uh, being in heaven. At least, I don't believe it is. And here's why. Because I personally don't believe that Saul was actually a follower of God. I don't believe he was a true believer in God and following and fearing him. Why? Because when he sinned, he never repented. He just continued on down that road and further and further and further and further. David sinned and repented. But Saul never did that. He just kept on going. As the fact that besides you being killed, the Philistine army would defeat the army of Israel. Now, here, here's what's really uh, sad about this. Just a quick little application that I won't put at, towards the end. I'm going to put now. Because people, including some believers, are just like Saul. Um, they'll say, yeah, I believe there's a God, but I don't want anything to do with what he tells me to do. And a believer, some believers will be, well, yeah, I placed my faith in Christ. I'm a Christian, but I, I know what he says, but I'm not going to do those things. And then life becomes overwhelming because that's what happens in our world. Especially when we're not doing life God's way. It becomes overwhelming. And then they start praying. Oh God, Lord, help me this way. Lord, this is what's going on in my life. Lord, so-and-so is against me. Lord, my finances are bad. Lord, I need I, 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 me, 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 me. And you look at their life and they're like, well, they're not even doing what God wants. And some of them aren't even followers of God. They just figure, well, I'll pray to God. I'm in trouble. And then I've had it where I've sat, them, sat people down and said, well, here's what the Bible says about what you're supposed to do. Well, yeah, well, yeah thanks. I appreciate that. But, <laughs> all right. So Saul is doing just that. He doesn't want to do life God's way, but then he looks to God because he's overwhelmed with life and God doesn't answer him. Why? Because he knows Saul's just going to continue doing life the way he wants to do it. And so why would God 
answer him. Well, getting back to Saul, Samuel leaves. Saul faints. He hasn't been eating for the last couple, three days. He hasn't been sleeping. Um, he's famished. And now he's finding out that he's going to die tomorrow. And with all of that, he just completely exhausted and he faints. The witch and his men, they get him up, they give him some food, and they get him back to the battle lines. Meanwhile, on the Philistine side, they're preparing for battle. David is marching with King Achish. But this doesn't sit well with the other commanders. See, the other commanders, they've heard about David. They've actually heard about the song. Everybody's heard about this song. It's like on all the radio stations throughout Israel and throughout Philistia and maybe even down to Egypt. Who knows? But the radio stations are playing a song that, that Saul has killed his thousands of Philistines. And David has killed his ten thousands of Philistines. So the commanders are going, wait a second, Achish, I don't care what David's been telling you, but he has killed ten thousands of Philistines. We don't trust this guy. You tell him to get out of here, to go back to where he came from, because we don't want his help. So Achish then tells David, hey, listen, you need to go back to Ziklag, and this is what takes place. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites, those people he was raiding, had made a raid on, Negev, on the Negev and on Ziklag, and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyway. David was killing everybody. These guys weren't killing anybody, but they were taking everybody and carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. You ever been in that situation where life is just so overwhelming that you just got no strength left. You're just wiped out emotionally. And now David's two wives had been taken captive, and Noam and Abigail, I'm not going to try to say all those other names, but so his two wives, again, this is not something that God approves. I always feel like I need to make this side note. God doesn't approve for David to have two wives. God does not into us having multiple spouses. This is something David does on his own. It's something that's going to come back to haunt him, like all sin does in our lives, and is going to do to him, which we'll talk about in the coming weeks. Anyways, moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, and each one because of his sons and his daughters. So they're blaming David uh, for having this happen to them. But David, here's what David does. He strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So David strengthens himself. His men and him are emotionally devastated. Everyone in their family is gone. Every possession they had is gone. Their homes have been burnt to the ground. And not only that, but his men are saying, David's to blame. We want to stone him. We want to kill him. But David... What David does is what a person who has a heart for God would do, is what any good leader would do. And he gets with God, and he lets God strengthen him. So after spending time with God, then he says, God, what do you want me to do? What should I do? Should I go after these raiders? And so God says, yeah, go. Go, you'll have uh, victory over them. You'll get everything back. You won't lose one single 
thing. So David takes off with his 600 men. Now they have been traveling from north of Gath all the way down to Ziklag, and they've been hightailing it to get home because, you know, we want to get home after being almost in a, a battle, right? So they want to get home. They're hurrying to get home. They get home. They see what they see. Now they're going to turn right around and they're going to go after these guys. So 200 of the guys say, we can't go any further. We need to stop right here. It's the Brook of Bezor is the place. And so he said, okay, you guys sit here. You, you watch our supplies. You take, and we'll take off and we'll head after him. So he takes his 400 guys. As they're going in the direction of the kind of figuring out where they might be, they find an Egyptian who's a servant of one of the Amalekites, and he's in a field. He's hiding in the field. They had left him. He couldn't keep up, and so they just left him. He's been there for several days, and he hasn't eaten. And so they find him, and they bring him over to David. And David's like, well, let's get this guy some food and some water. And we kind of talked about, you know, taking care of your enemies last week. But So he takes care of this guy, and he says, now, now that I fed you, now that you have some energy, where are the raiders? Where are the guys that you've been serving? And he goes, let me, let me tell, show you. So they go down to the spot, and they find where the raiders are. And so they go in, and they, they just completely overwhelm them. And they, they take them out, and they kill everybody except for four, 400 guys on camels. Can you imagine what that might look like? You know, up on top of you. 400 of them. They got away. Nobody else was able to get away. So they take care of all the stuff. They get all their family back. They get all their possessions back. They take everything that was the raiders. They take that with them. They get back to the brook of Bezor. They start divvying things out. And then it says this, that all the wicked, worthless men who went with David. So there are some people in David's 400 men who are wicked and worthless, according to this author. And they're like, hey, the 200 who are sitting here, they can have their, their stuff back. They can have their families back. But anything else, they shouldn't get because they didn't go with us to plunder these people. And Dave's like, no, they were here. They were protecting our supplies. And so divvied up, they get it. Uh, they can have their family plus everything else back. The chapter ends. David, who's a, also a pretty good politician, he sends some of that to some of his friends in leadership in the southern Israel. Because he knows he's going to be king one of these days. And so he wants to make sure that he's getting good with those guys and they're liking him. So while David's fighting the raiders in the south, we jump all the way back up to the north, north of Gath, and Saul is being attacked by the Philistines, and this is how that plays out. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilbo. The Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua and the sons, uh, the sons of Saul. The battle went heavily against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and pierce me through with it, otherwise these uncircumcised will come and pierce me through and make sport of me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. So Saul took his sword and fell on it. When the armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on the sword and died with him. Thus Saul died with his three sons, his armor-bearer, and all his men on that day together. When the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley, with those who were beyond the Jordan, saw that the men of Israel had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned the cities and fled. Then the Philistines came and lived in them. So they occupied, Philistines occupied the northern, northern Israel. It came about on the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen at Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head. They stripped off his weapons. 
and sent them throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols. Again, by doing this, they're saying, hey, our gods are greater than your God, and he was able to take out your, your God. And so it's, it's, you know, it's kind of a bad thing. Um, anyway, so they sent it out to the idols and to the people. They put his weapons in the temple of Ashtaroth, which is the god that they worship, and they fastened his body to the wall of Beth Shan. Now when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard that the Philistines had done what they had done to Saul, all the valiant men rose and walked all night, took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Beth Shan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. They took their bones, they buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. So King Saul and his sons are dead. The northern part of Israel is occupied by their enemies. The Philistines have cut off Saul's head and they've hung his body up on a wall of one of their cities. The men of Jabesh, they decide we're going to walk through the night and we're going to retrieve their bodies. And so they grab them, they burn them, they take their bones and they bury them. And then they fast. They get before God and they fast. This this idea of when we fast, we're giving up all of our needs because we need God. Kind of like what we sang about in the last song. So things look terrible for Israel. The king and his sons are dead. Who Who will step in to that? It can't be David. David's running with the enemy. We can't trust him anymore, so who's going to be our king? Who's going to take care of, of what we need, of who we are, and what, what the plans are for our future? What Israel will learn, and what we are continuing to learn and need to learn, is that God's always working. God is sovereign. It's a big word. It means that God is able to work within the decisions, both good and bad, that we make, that David makes, that Saul makes, And he can still work out his plan. He's infinitely powerful. He's infinitely wise. So he can still work out his plans. But as you probably guessed, you'll have to come back next week and we'll find out what the plans are. But for now, as we close, uh, let me just remind you, first of all, the question that we're answering. And that is, how does a person after God's own heart, a person who wants to do life God's way, how do they handle it when their life is overwhelmed, when they're overwhelmed by life circumstances. David has shown us, again, he's not perfect. And, and he typically gets back to doing it God's way. But he always turns to God. He always seeks God. And so as we consider our takeaways from today, our lessons for life, as I've been calling them for this series anyway, just change things up a little bit. Some of you here this morning... Um, are kind of like Saul. That you don't have that relationship that um, you need in order to experience the strengthening that God gives us. Because again, the person who has a heart for God is going to seek God and ask God to strengthen them, to, to care for them. And so for this morning, if you're here this morning, you're not a believer, not somebody who's placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Your first step is to initiate that relationship, have that relationship um, happen that God wants to. God wants to forgive you of your sins and he wants to initiate a relationship with you. And so this morning, I just want to challenge you if, you're, if you haven't placed your faith in Christ that you would accept his forgiveness 
and that you would accept this offer of relationship. And what that means is this. We talk about sin. The Bible talks about sin. Sin is us breaking God's laws. And just like when we break the law around here, we will stand before a judge typically, and a judge will hand out a sentence. And so when we break God's law, there's going to be a point in time in our life when we die, and we're going to stand before God. He's going to be our judge. And he's going to say, you have sinned, you have disobeyed, you have um, broken my laws. And so then he's going to hand out a sentence. Now in our day and age, that sentence can be a light sentence, it could be a a heavy sentence, it could be a sentence that eventually you can get paroled and you can come out of jail and all that kind of stuff. But in this situation, we've sinned against an infinitely powerful, righteous, and holy God. And so our death sentence is that we spend eternity in hell for eternity. Because God is eternal, God is infinite, and we've sinned against an infinite God, so our, our death sentence is infinite. The Bible describes hell as a, a place that was initially designed for Satan and his demons, but when man sinned, now man sadly has to be judged just like Satan and his demons do. Jesus talks about it as a place of not just separation from God, but a place of darkness, of aloneness, of gnashing of teeth. It's a place that you don't want to spend. It's not a place where you're partying with your friends. I have friends tell me it all, all my life. Oh, I just want to go to hell and party with my friends. You're not going to be partying with friends. You're going to be by yourself in darkness. And you may think, well, that's not fair. Well, God's the judge. And, and here's the other side of it. He's made and given you the only offer that could be given to you, and that is God the Son who became Jesus, dying in your place, taking your death sentence upon himself. So if you're here this morning, I just go ahead and close your eyes. And uh, If you've never made that decision, if you've never taken an opportunity to have a conversation with God, we call it prayer, but if you've never had a conversation with God where you said, God, please forgive me of my sins, and I'm trusting in Christ and Christ alone. I'd just like to lead you in a prayer that you can pray. Just a conversation you can have with God, your heart to his heart, and just say something along these lines. God, I know that I've sinned against you. I've broken your laws. I know that the sentence is eternity in hell. But I also know and I believe I'm trusting you when you say Jesus died for me. And so I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I'm telling you that I'm trusting what you say about Jesus, that he is my Savior. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I'm trusting in Christ and Christ alone. Now keep your eyes closed. If, you, if you've prayed that prayer, If you wouldn't mind just raising your hand, let me know that you've made that uh, commitment, that request. Thanks. I see that. Thanks. Thanks. You made that decision this morning. I know some of you have made this decision in the past, but this is this morning, here today. Thanks. Anybody else? You've prayed this morning to accept Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Thanks. Thanks. Just keep your eyes closed. Just, just encourage you to have made that decision. Um, we have a little 
next step bag that kind of gives you more information about the decision you've made and steps to take, and we'd love to be able to share that with you. Uh, if you would like, fill out a Connect card and give us your information, and I can send you some information. I won't bombard you with stuff, but give you some information as well. And just going to mark on that card that you accepted Christ today. Let's go ahead and um, open your eyes and want to move on to, so those who have placed your faith in Christ this morning, and we who have done that sometime in the past, then for us, when we are overwhelmed by life, we need to do what David did. We need to get with God. We need to let him personally strengthen us. It's incredible to understand that the God of this universe, our creator, wants us to come to him personally to experience his strengthening, his um, help, um, David talks about the Lord, it's, and that's where it's a Yahweh in, in Hebrew. It means the self-existing, infinitely personal God of Israel. And so it's Yahweh, it's the Lord, but it's the Lord, his God. And so it's not just the God of Israel, it's David, it's his personal God. God is, is his personal God. And so David leaned on God for strength and for comfort. And we can do the same. We just need to get with them. I'm going to read some verses here as we close. These are some psalms that David wrote in the Old Testament. Uh, could have been right when he was going through this. It could have been him looking back on this time. But I want to read these just quickly for you. Uh, these are just you know, three different parts of psalms. There's a bunch that he wrote. He says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. So how do we, how do we hide in God? You know, how do we get in there and just kind of hide? We get into his word. We spend time, like David did, meditating on God's word, thinking about God's word, remembering his promises, remembering all the stuff he's done for us. And as we're talking to him, we let him talk to us from his word. And so he becomes our refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, I call upon the Lord, means we pray to him, who is worthy to be praised. So we praise him, and I am saved from my enemies. Another one, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So God's going to take care of me here and now. I've I got to trust that. I've got to believe that. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Just wait for the Lord. I, I get it that waiting is hard. Waiting is difficult. But it's not us being passive. It's us spending time with God, sitting with him and letting him strengthen us and help us. And then the last one, I love the Lord, all you his godly ones. The Lord preserves the faithful and fully recompenses the proud doer. In other words, a person who's being prideful and doesn't need God, he's going to discipline them. But he'll be faithful to us who are or taking care of preserving us who are faithful. Be strong and let your heart take courage. All you who hope in or wait for the Lord. When life becomes overwhelming, don't make the mistake that Saul made by rejecting God and what God says to do. Do what David did. Get with God and let God personally strengthen you by you being in God's Word, reading God's Word, meditating on God's Word, memorizing God's Word, and then applying what He says to your situation and experiencing Him personally strengthen you through that situation that you're going through. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this morning and opportunity to look at David's life. He went through a lot of terrible things, and again, not always perfect, but he continued to come back to you, continued to trust you. Lord, forgive us for the times that we 
don't trust you, that we don't even come to you. Um, we may pray, we may talk at you, but we don't come to you and let you talk to us through your word. But Lord, moving forward, I pray that we would make a commitment to be people who are allowing you to be our refuge and that we would allow your word to penetrate our hearts and our minds, that we would trust you, that we would do what you call us to do in spite of how we may feel or what we think. And we'll experience you strengthening us and experience you working through us in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for coming this morning. Have a great rest of the week and represent Christ well.